Hey, it's time for another edition of Spinning Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganbill. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It's brought to you, as always, by our friends at MyBookie. Remember, football season is back, so is winning season at MyBookie. Get started. Go to MyBookie.ag. Register for an account for free. When you get ready to make that first deposit, put in the, the promo code next round. Put in next round. You're going to get that welcome bonus on the house from our friends at MyBookie.ag. Lugs, how are we, my friend? We are good on this hump day, getting ready for what I can't believe is already week three. I mean, it just goes so fast, man. It it does, man. I was, you know, my Trojans have got off this weekend, and I was telling Dunaway, Dunaway's always the negative one. We're we're thirty three percent done with college football. You know, we wait for it all year, and then <laughs> we know. want it to slow down. And I told him, I was like, my Trojans, they're already, uh, you know, a, a fourth of their season is in the books. Yeah, I it's, know. It's crazy. I mean, all right, it, let's it go back. It's crazy. So, so you were in New Orleans last weekend. Yeah. And and one of my biggest games of the day, I, I played Ole Miss minus the points. I thought Judkins and even Jackson Dart, I just thought that they would destroy that defense. And then that number keeps moving up, and you find out Michael Pratt's not going to play quarterback. And I told people, I was like, lay whatever you can lay. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Obviously, <laughs> Tulane is better than I thought. Um I guess let's start there. Is Tulane better than we thought coming off a 12-win season? And at the same time, does Ole Miss have some problems defensively? They are a lot better than people think, and they should have taken notice a year ago, not only winning the American, but then beating, you know, SC in the Cotton Bowl. I think sometimes when a, a group of five team loses, you know, a running back to the NFL draft, two linebackers to the NFL draft, there's this natural human nature to think, oh, they're going to take a huge drop-off except they've got Michael Pratt. And the fact that they went into that game knowing they weren't going to have him, preparing a backup quarterback who I thought played really, really well considering the situation he was thrown into, the reason why Ole Miss should have concern is because on that particular day, Tulane physically whipped them up front on both sides of the ball. It wasn't just Tulane's offensive line versus Ole Miss's defensive line, but vice versa as well. And outside of that opening drive for Ole Miss, which was essentially flawless, um, the Rebels couldn't get anything going. Uh, they couldn't get anything going on the ground. Uh, they they couldn't handle the games that Tulane was playing up front. D- hey, listen, Tulane's got two dudes in the defensive front, maybe three, that will probably play on Sundays at some point for some length of time. Um, so they're they're not a fluke. And I, you know, Ole Miss is going to have to play a lot better when the SEC slate hits. Um, I just, for whatever reason, they were, they were off and they came on at the right time because Lane Kiffin made that call. It was either 24, 20 or 27, 20 with four minutes left to go in the game. It was fourth and two and he could have kicked the field goal. Instead he goes for it. And Jackson Dart bails him out, avoids that free rusher and then hits Michael Trigg going across uh, the field to the sideline and he scores. And that, that kind of took the air out of the balloon, uh, through Tulane on that particular play. But uh, listen, I mean, in, in many instances, Tulane outplayed them. Yeah, well, look, I got home with the uh, the uh, Ole Miss minus the nine and a half. It was where it started. It went off at 13 and a half and got really lucky with that fourth quarter from Ole Miss. Yeah. So that leads leads me to, well, let me ask you one more Tulane question because this is so random. But I was at my youngest brother's bachelor party in New Orleans. I think it was three summers ago. And we're in one of these uppity bowling alleys, you know, where you got open bar and really yeah. good food and all that kind of stuff. And in the lane next to us, we had like a random like 5 p.m. Saturday uh, is when we booked the lane for it. 
next to us, this big group of girls, and we start talking. Well, one of them happened to be Willie Fritz's wife. She's like my husband coaches in college football, and we started this conversation. It was Willie Fritz, which I thought was pretty interesting. And at that point, didn't have a lot of success. But obviously, last year, again, 12 wins, uh, maybe the best season in Tulane history. And now he's got NFL players. We knew Ty Spears was one of those guys who goes to yeah. the Titans. But how's how's Willie Fritz getting NFL-type players, or is he just more so developing once they get on campus? It starts off with development, but I also think the transfer portal has helped them a little bit because you have such tremendous athletes coming out of the New Orleans area, and when they go somewhere else, they want to come home. So he's getting this influx of really good players coming back to the program you know, if, if you have some time just to have an appreciation for how good he is, just go Google Willie Fritz coaching record and look at his overall coaching record. You're going to be like, what? Like, he has won and won big everywhere he has been, but he's always been in those developmental type programs, right? So more, and, more like uh, Hugh Freeze, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, even further back than that, because he's got several years on, on Hugh Freeze, but like... Going back to junior college ranks, right? Um, he's been Sam Houston State, uh, you know, all those types. And, 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 and really, really, really has accumulated a ton of wins. And when you talk to him, you sit down and visit with him, it's not difficult to see why he's so respected amongst his peers. And he's developed guys into big-time players there. Uh, I think Nick Saban in Alabama helped out Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M by being maybe the – most talked about game this weekend, losing that game in Tuscaloosa. Now, for AM fans, it didn't work like that. But how flawed, when we look at the SEC West, the three favorites, Alabama, LSU, and for some people, Texas A&M, are all one and one through two games, which is absolutely amazing. But when you look around the West, Mississippi State, lucky to survive Arizona, even with Arizona turning it over five times, Jaden DeLore, three picks yeah. in the first quarter. Um you you look at uh, Auburn Ole Miss. surviving at Cal. Yeah, Auburn shouldn't have survived at Cal with their four turnovers. I mean, is the entire SEC West flawed right now? I think there are common denominators amongst what we've seen, and they revolve around a lack of execution, a lack a lack of discipline, carelessness with the football, and penalties. Um, when when you look at LSU against Florida State, I'm, uh, Florida State manhandled them, but. Boy, I mean, LSU finds every single way they can to to screw it up, right? Alabama, 10 penalties, two negated touchdowns, two turnovers, big explosive plays on defense, things that Alabama doesn't, you know, typically do. Um, And and it, it matters. It starts to accumulate because what it does is it levels the playing field if you happen to be playing against an opponent that's less talented than you are. Now, I think on Saturday with Texas, the talent was... On, on equal footing in many instances. And maybe in a couple of areas, you'd say Texas maybe looked like the better team on that day. And, you know, uh, I think Florida State and LSU talent-wise are, are fairly equal as well. So if you make mistakes and you don't put yourself in a position for success, I think that's what stands out to me so much about Florida State. And I've got them this weekend, and they have been almost flawless. I mean, they put 63 on a bowl team. The team went to a bowl game last year and played over 100 players doing it. So, like, they're deep. They're talented. But they don't go out and have kicking game snafus. They haven't been having procedure penalties. Um, We heard Steve Sarkeesian mention that about his offense and the fact that, you know, we weren't exactly in static formations. We're shifting. We're motion. We're clapping. We're, 
were hard counting. They didn't have a single procedure penalty on the road. That stuff matters, and it starts to build. It starts to accumulate. We saw it with Clemson versus Duke. Couldn't get out of their own way. Um, and so if you're going to put yourself in that position and you're not just so far superior to the opponent talent-wise, talent you're at risk of losing. Well, you know, people are asking right now, is Jalen Milrow the right guy? And I don't know the answer to that because I've only seen Tyler Buckner this much in limitation. I really haven't seen Ty Simpson at all. Um, it's going to be interesting, 230, not a great game. Alabama's the 32-and-a-half-point favorite. But when they go yeah. to uh, Tampa to take on South Florida, you know, how they rotate these quarterbacks. Ultimately, do you think this thing, it, it, it plays out, Milrow's the guy, or you think it's going to be back and forth for a little bit? I was I was more concerned with how they utilized Milrow and the positions they put him in than I was with how he actually played. He did make some plays. He did he did create some opportunities and he had some some negative plays as well. He's a sophomore. There's some new faces around him. Um I just think they could have helped him out more. Like in my head I'm I'm sitting there going, this looks like a Tommy Reese coached offense with Ian Book at quarterback. Not you know, a Lamar Jackson type of running talent where you can, you can really do some things to strain the defense. And, I, and I, I feel like they didn't necessarily accentuate all of those things. So will they play multiple players next week? Probably if they get the opportunity. But I'm more interested to see what the approach is on offense. How do they attack South Florida? Um, how do they use Jalen Milrow? And to try and accentuate his strengths. And, and what I would say is mask his weaknesses if you want to say the passing game's a weakness, I don't know. I just think it's underdeveloped. It's in progress with him. He's that's not his natural trait. Whereas a Ty Simpson or you know even a Dylan Lonergan, um, that is their natural, probably first strongest trait. So we'll we'll see. I know this. There's a strong, strong foundation in that program, and typically when Alabama has had a struggle or they've had a hiccup, it kind of presses the reset button for them. And I would be really surprised if they don't come out and play lights out football. I know it's USF, but I would be really surprised if they don't come out and play dialed in. It wasn't the worst quarterback play of the weekend. That was in Boulder with Jeff Sims in Nebraska. Oh, my completely, God. Completely, completely awful. Um, have you ever seen anything? I mean, how if, how if, bad does a backup if, have to be? I mean, I thought Shubba Purdy was, was going to be good. Right. What's what's the quarterback room look like if that's your best option? And and listen, I I felt strongly about this when it happened in the offseason. I felt like and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Matt Rule, but I felt like that was the one that was the one transfer portal signee where the team did not do their homework. If you had watched Jeff Sim and his tenure at Georgia Tech, that's ex maybe not to that level, but that's exactly what he did. He turned the ball over. He was erratic. He was inaccurate, dynamic athlete, strong arm. All of that stuff's great, but not if you don't play good. And so, um, yeah, that was – I'm just sitting there scratching my head watching that thing. And then there's no – poor Nebraska's defense who's playing lights out. They were. Right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I had them plus two and a half. So, uh, that, that thing, once I got to the second half, was over quickly. Anyway, that was the worst quarterback play, but not far behind. Auburn's quarterback play in Berkeley was yeah. awful. You know, red zone Robbie, it looked fun under Hugh Freeze in week one against UMass, but then they go out to the West Coast. Justin Wilcox, in my opinion, underrated coach, underrated uh, underrated team this year, but that was just a disgusting aesthetically game to watch. But 
Auburn's quarterback play, Hugh Freeze isn't happy with it. He said, we got to figure this out. I don't like the rotation of the quarterbacks. I don't, I don't know what they do. I don't know if they got a quarterback right now. I mean, is Peyton Thorne good enough to get this back on track? Well, you know, I've kind of always thought when they took Peyton Thorne that they took a guy that's played, but I didn't ever look at him as being a difference maker, like a program changer. Um, thought he was very serviceable while at Michigan State. Looked, looked that way against UMass. You know, it's been my experience with Cal teams. Because most people, you know, maybe in the Southeast footprint, you know, they might see him on Pac-12 after dark every now and then, but they're really not familiar with Cal. And they're one of those teams when you step on the field and you're looking at them and you're seeing their body types and you're seeing them in a uniform, you're going, now these guys don't look very good. And then on defense, they play with their hair on fire. They are really well coached. They play hard. And it's like their production exceeds what their talent level should allow them to do. They've always been hit and miss and streaky on offense, you know, after Jeff Tedford left uh, Cal. But defensively, they've always kind of been like that. And so if you're not familiar with it, I think it could stun you a little bit. And I think that happened to Auburn. I think I think they went out there and they did not realize that Cal was going to be that formidable on defense. And maybe it just got them off schedule a little bit. But if listen, if you are if you're an Auburn fan, you got to be really, really encouraged about the defensive side of the football, number one. And then number two, I think you've got to understand the job that was taken over, you've got to start to expect incremental improvements, right? You, you, you want to see get better in this area one week, get better in that area one week, get good enough to where you can win a game where maybe the talent's close, right? So I don't know. I just, I, I, if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm frustrated, but you're 2-0, and you're growing, you're, you're going to get better as each player knows each other better and the staff knows each other better. And you just you just move on and fight, but uh, they they're going to have to. And, and Hugh Freeze said it. He goes, "We're not going to win very many football games playing offensive football like this." So that says it all. It's Spitting Luke's with the ESPN's Tom Luganville. We do it every week right here on Disrupt the Media. Make sure you like, subscribe. It is brought to you by Lanceslock.com. Jump on board, all leagues, all games. We got them up for you. We've got daily, weekly, monthly, annual packages. Go to Lanceslock.com. Since day one, when Florida State and Miami were in the ACC. People were like, how often are we going to get a Florida State Miami ACC Conference Championship game? <laughs> and, you know, after watching Clemson, <laughs> yeah, well, right, never. Uh, after watching Florida State, obviously, you said a lot about Florida State early through their two games. After watching Miami on Saturday against Texas AM, down 17 to 7, watching their speed, their ability to close on defense, Tyler Van Dyke, when he's got a clean pocket, one of the best pro style quarterbacks out there, Miami looks dangerous to me. Are they back? They are dangerous. And, you know, that team, that Miami team last year at this time, had they have gotten down 10-0 or 17-7, they would have they would have wiped their sniveling nose, picked up their ball, and walked home. They would have. That's exactly what that team did last year. And instead, Mario Cristobal completely revamps the staff, makes the in-season and the off-season so difficult for the football team where he was just weeding through guys. And the guys that, he, that were going to stay and do it the way he wanted it to be done, we're welcome to stay because he knew he could depend on him. And now it looks like he's got a team that's all pulling in the same direction, right? The offensive coordinator hire was fantastic because I think it put Miami back in a position with Tyler Van Dyke to just turn it loose and let it rip. That's what they did under Rhett Lashley. And it was one of the reasons that I think it really accentuated Tyler Van Dyke's talent. We've seen that through the first two weeks. They do have speed on the perimeter. They've avoided the injury bug to this point. They have a revamped offensive line. While the run game isn't what they want it to be, 
with that defensive front that Texas A&M has, um, there's going to be a lot of people that will struggle to run the ball against them. Um, and so as the game went on and you started to see those mistakes made by Miami in the first quarter, those got ironed out and Miami started kind of going on this trajectory up, upwards. And as they were doing that, Texas A&M started making all the mistakes. And then they started fumbling all over themselves. And then they couldn't get out of their own way. And um, once that happened, it was like there was chum in the water. And, and Miami just, I mean, they, they pounced. And so uh, I think it's impressive. I think it closed the gap between Florida State and Clemson in the league. It makes the ACC that much more interesting. I mean, the ACC is 4-1 and one against the SEC through, through two weeks. All right. They are, um, I think, 18-3, and three, if I'm not, or 18-6. and six, versus non-conference opponents through the first two weeks. It's been a good perception-changing first two weeks for ACC, and they needed the teams, their marquee teams, to do it. They needed North Carolina to beat South Carolina. They needed Miami to beat A&M. They needed Florida State to beat LSU. So those are the things that, that can correct a narrative if you're a conference when you win those big games. Uh, I think we all agree Florida State is your favorite right now to win the ACC. Yeah. You've still got Clemson there. NC State, you and I were both high on them. Brendan Armstrong really pressed in bad yeah. weather, turned the football turned the over. four times. Yeah, game got really close there in the second yeah. half, and I thought they had a shot. But I think Notre Dame's the real deal. But North Carolina struggled with Appalachian State for the second straight year. Duke has looked good. Um, Pittsburgh, yeah. we'll see this weekend. Backyard brawl, back with West Virginia. good last week. But if you were doing pecking order right now, Florida State one, do you go Clemson two, or do you go Miami, North Carolina? Who would be number two right now in the ACC? Off of performance, I'd go Florida State one. Then I would go Miami two, Duke three, North Carolina four. That would be my top four uh, right there. Um, and then I think that's where it becomes a really meaty crunch of the Wakes, the Clemsons, the NC States, maybe even oh, Louisville. I think Louisville would probably be my fifth team in the ACC. I think they're going to be sneaky good, and uh, they've got uh, they've got a big one. That's the one thing about the ACC this week is they've got six out of conference games, all versus the Big Ten. So they have another opportunity as a conference to 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 make a statement. But I think Duke's proven their worth. Miami has proven their worth. The one takeaway I had from North Carolina because I think everybody knows that App State's a thorn in a lot of people's side, probably not the, the ideal opponent to schedule out of conference. But North Carolina proved they could win a different way. North Carolina ran for over 300 yards against App State. They did not throw a touchdown pass. Drake May did not throw a touchdown pass, and they won the game. So that was encouraging if you're North Carolina to know you can lean on that offensive line a little bit. They didn't have British Brooks, their starting running back, so they did it with a multitude of backs and some reserves. So that was a positive if you're Mac Brown in North Carolina. Uh, so this weekend, you, uh, you've you got one of these ACC games. You're going to Boston, which is a great town, by the way, especially this time of year. Again, yeah. you don't get to uh, have too much fun when you're up there, especially when you've got a 10 o'clock. You know Eastern what I do time. have? You know what I do have? A chance of a hurricane. Now, what well, else? That's typical, that's typical Luganville, right? Right. So Hurricane Lee is supposed to be coming up and hitting landfall <laughs> on Friday night and Saturday on the eastern seaboard there in New York and Massachusetts. Come on, man. That is unbelievable. I mean, I'm telling you, it follows you around. If you're going to be West Coast, it's going to be a heat wave. Midwest, yeah. cyclone or duster. Down south, uh, it's going to be hot ice, as hell. Or ice a, storms. You yeah, name it, man. Torrential downpour. Uh, BC, man, they've been bad for, for a while. I, I don't know how they get better. You know, it seems like forever ago, Matt Ryan, 
uh, had them at number two nationally playing a Thursday night ESPN yeah. game. And they've kind of gone this direction in Florida State, obviously under Mike Norvell's going up. Uh, is there going to be a day where BC is able to be good again? So I, I think that some of the challenges for BC are, are that, you know, academically they have some restrictions um, that limit their player pool to some degree. And the player pool that they would draw from, let's just say within 200 miles in any direction, doesn't have great high school football. You traditionally don't have those elite level players coming out of the Northeast that you're going to have coming out of the, the state of Georgia or the state of Virginia. And, you know, they can get down into Virginia, Maryland, and D.C., but they're also going to be battling Penn State and, and Maryland um, and, and Michigan and Ohio State. And then so it's hard. And then with the transfer portal, you, you hope that you can bring some guys in. And they've done that. I think they've done that, particularly with a couple of skill guys on offense that have improved their football team. They've had some of the same problems that we talked about earlier when we came on, and that is self-inflicted wounds. They've had 20 penalties in the first two weeks, and they have not been able to stop the run uh, on on defense. And so, you know, they switched to Thomas Castellanos at quarterback. He, he transferred from UCF. Ryan O'Keefe is a wide receiver who I think is really talented. He transferred from UCF. They found a way to beat Holy Cross. And in many ways, they probably shouldn't have last week, but they did find a way to win it. And I, I think if, if you're Florida State, the thing to look out for is Florida State does not seem to care who the opponent is. Like Florida State right now is on this mission of scorched earth. And when you have that type of mentality and you have that type of mindset and you're playing to your standard and your standard only, those are championship level qualities. Those are what the best Alabama teams have had, these Georgia teams have had, the best Clemson teams have had. And so, you know, how will weather play a, a role? You know, not just rain, but wind. Is it torrential? Is it sideways? Does it affect the ball? Does the ball go on the ground? Does that change possessions? Does, does that help a Boston College? So many factors going into this game that could be weather-related. Uh, ESPN's Tom Luganville is spitting lugs right here. We do it every single week. Uh, I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. Make sure you like and subscribe. Terrible slate coming up this weekend. I'm going to jump around to a couple of games, but what makes a terrible slate better is wagering on games. You can do it right now at mybookie.ag. Use that code next round. Secure the first deposit bonus on the house at mybookie.ag. Week three is not good. I'll take any college football I can get. I'll still right. Luganville. I'll be on the couch from 11 a.m till two in the morning, just like we were last week. Uh, Kansas State, Missouri, to me, is an interesting game. And it seems like when we have one of these awful weekends, and Dunaway brought this up earlier today on the next round, we get one, two, three, four upsets. Yep. I love Chris Kleiman. I know you do. He's built a great culture. They won the Big 12 last year. They dominated a good Troy team this past weekend, but now they go to Missouri. They're only a one-and-a-half-point favorite. It's stretched out to four-and-a-half now. Will Howard's really good. Yeah. I don't know what we get with Missouri, but it seems like a dangerous 11 o'clock game. It is a dangerous 11 o'clock game. I think that is a dangerous game. And, and Jim's right, your, your crew, I think every time we look at this and we say, oh, the slate's not very good, and look at these matchups, somebody is going down, at least one, right? So I think a couple other that could be interesting. LSU on the road at Mississippi State, such a difficult place to play. I think an eight and a half is a big number on LSU. It is. I mean, yeah. that's – I mean. Wow, that's a hard place to play. And, and Mississippi State found a way to win last week. I think Minnesota and North Carolina is is interesting. Um, and, uh, and and that could be problematic because, you know, 
uh, Minnesota wants to be able to run the football, limit those possessions that North Carolina could have on offense. But you're right. Somebody's going, somebody's going down. It could be multiple teams. Um, it, it comes down to who's ready to play, man. I yeah, mean, let me you, ask you, you this up. one. In, in last year, they had, I think, the second-best scoring defense in college football in Illinois. You lose your defensive coordinator. You lose some key components in that secondary. Their offense, and look, Jalen Daniels is an underrated quarterback Ooh. coming back for Kansas. He is legitimate. And I said today he could start for every SEC team. In my opinion, it's not even a question. I don't know how you feel about that. But I think Jalen Daniels is that good. But this Illinois defense is a shell of what it was last year. Now, I think Altmaier is probably an upgraded quarterback position. But they're getting 16 yeah. and a half right now to Penn State. Penn State under with uh, Drew Aller looks like the real deal. Is there any chance Illinois could maybe spring on upset? I don't think so. And I, the, the difference now is Illinois is not sneaking up on anybody like they did a year, a year ago. Remember, they came out of nowhere and playing lights out on defense, first rounder at corner. They've got NFL guys along the defensive front. He inherited a pretty decent group there. They did a good job in the transfer portal. Uh, they were really effective on offense. They had a big time running back. And now everybody's fully aware that, okay, this team's actually pretty good. We better start prepping the way we should. And you know, Illinois, it's going to be interesting to see if they're still reeling off of that game last week because Kansas, man, I mean. They handed it to them, you know, and Toledo oh. should have beat them week one. I, I know, I know. And I, to be honest with you, I think this is James Franklin's best football team. They've got NFL guys at just about every every position spot. In fact, they might have two at tight end, two at running back, definitely one in the offensive line, um, at least one on the defensive front. Definitely a couple at linebacker. They're, this is a loaded team. And Drew Aller has has played the way that people are expecting him to play. He hasn't had those those hiccups and the the, the lack of experience type of, of moments. Uh, he's got to go on the road now. Uh, but, again, if you look at Penn State's schedule, most of their road games are not your typical, volatile, difficult environment to play in. Like, you can go into Illinois – and shut that crowd down pretty quickly if you jump out on them. So um, I like Penn State in this one. I don't see an upset. But, again, this is what happens in week three when you have these types of games. Look, you played at this level. You coached at this level. Tennessee heads to Gainesville. For whatever reason, the Volunteers cannot beat Florida in Gainesville. They can't beat them typically, but they really can't beat them in Gainesville. <laughs> Lost nine straight there, haven't won since 2003. And a lot of time, the talent's pretty uh, pretty equivalent. Um is there something to the mental hurdle, you know, you're already beat before you get to the stadium? Maybe, but I think some of that lingers only with people that have experienced it multiple times. And there wouldn't be that many people on this on this team or within this uh, organization under Josh Heupel that have, that have dealt with that multiple times. So it's probably not brought up, at least internally. Um I'd be more concerned if I'm Tennessee. I'd be more concerned about the fact that we can't get off to a fast start on offense. Slow start to, uh, against Virginia and Nashville in week one, uh, an even worse start a week ago at home against Austin P. And now you go on the road into the swamp, and, and it was good to see Florida regroup. And, and, and I know it was McNeese State, but they looked like at least an organized unit where went from 1 of 13 on, on third down to, I think, 10 of 13 last week so you see improvement there efficient quarterback play and i i will be worried each and every week with tennessee as long as we see joe milton miss open people because that's what he does for all of his gifts and the rocket arm he will look great and then he'll miss an open guy and then he'll look great and then he'll miss an open guy 
And they've got to get that ironed out. And I think that's had that's been a part of some of their slow starts too. You know, Sam Pittman's done a really good job at Arkansas. And I heard some people say he's losing a little bit. He lost his coordinators. Um, KJ Jefferson, Rocket Sanders was going to be a great combo. We're not going to see Rocket Sanders this weekend. BYU seems like they got a really good defense under Kalani Sataki. Mm-hmm. Keaton Slovis in the offense, they haven't gotten going. But overall, how do you see BYU coming into Fayetteville in this game playing out? So I had this game last year in Provo, and it was close for a little bit, and then Arkansas rolled away. And Arkansas was so beat up in the back end. They couldn't even practice on defense. They didn't have enough bodies at safety and at, and at corner. So this is going to be a healthier Arkansas team, at least on that side of the ball. I just don't know if I trust Keaton Slovis. Um, he's and been what so happened, man, He was so good his freshman year when he came in. And yeah. I mean, he until he went out against Iowa, and I don't think he's ever been the same after that injury in the Holiday Bowl. But he was so dialed in. People were talking about future first round selection, and and it's just you know from that getting benched to to Pittsburgh, very average, and now the first couple yeah. of games hasn't been good. You know what? He was really good in the air raid, and hasn't been good in any of the other offensive schemes. Which you know, take that for what you will. But what we have seen out of air raid quarterbacks, at least at the college game, very few of them have succeeded at the NFL level. But they all throw for four thousand yards and forty touchdowns, and and then that guy moves on. The next guy plugs in. He does the exact same thing, right? So you know, maybe there's something to that. Um, but yeah, he's going to have to be way more consistent to go on the road and 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 handle Arkansas. I I just don't know. This might be a real transition year for for BYU um, within the Big Twelve. Uh, the schedule's always been ramped up for them because they're independent and they're playing a lot of Power Five schools, so they should be well prepared for that. But um, I think I think Arkansas has got some advantages here. Before we get into a little entertainment, you talked about Florida State. It doesn't matter the level of competition; they're scorching earth. We didn't necessarily see it with Texas against Rice week one, but with JT Daniels, I mean, Rice just beat Houston. I mean, they're not a bad team. They yeah. still won that game by 20. It seems to me that that Sark has got a different mentality this year. Quinn Ewers has got a different mentality, and maybe they play with Scorched Earth this week going on the road to Wyoming, and I also think it helps them that Wyoming upset Texas Tech down 17 in the first quarter in week one, so they're not going to take them lightly. No, they shouldn't take them lightly. But I think you hit on something very, very important. And I think Sark would agree with this because this is what's happened with the Texas program is they'll have a moment like they had this past Saturday, which was a huge hurdle for this program. Huge. And then they'll go and they'll lose to somebody they're not supposed to. Right. And it, I think this is about handling success. And and you know what? I, I, I referenced Florida State. No matter who they've played, it's up here. This is the standard. And this is where we're going to play. And if everybody else is going to do their thing, that's fine. But we're going to be here. Texas somehow has to get that rolling within that program. It's got to start getting ingrained in their DNA. So that when they go play a team that they're flat out better than, they don't throw up all over themselves and find a way to lose it. You know, And it's just it's one of those things that they've had a real struggle with. And not I'm not just saying under Sark's leadership. I'm talking about... You know, for a considerable number, Tom Herman had the same issues. Charlie Strong had the same issues. Um, remember Charlie Strong wearing the gold cowboy hat after beating Oklahoma? Oh, and, yeah. All right, so now you think, oh, here we go, and then nope. And um, and it's just one of those deals that I, I'm paying close attention to because I do think that they – what they showed me on Saturday is they're a legitimate college football playoff team. Off of that performance, they're a legitimate college football playoff team. Now, can they go out and do that 
because they're going to have athletic advantages in probably just about every game they play going forward, including Oklahoma. So go play like it. So we always talk entertainment here on Spinning Lugs. And last night, I just, after the full weekend of, of, of college football in the NFL, I just wanted to get away. And I had about an hour and a half, two hours to kill. And so I threw it out on Twitter. I was like, give me a good documentary recommendation. And so I saw a few and I went through and pulled them on Rotten Tomatoes and just a little synopsis on each. And I settled on one called the Barkley Marathons. Have you heard about this? I have not. Fill me okay. in. This is so it's on, it's on uh, Apple TV and Amazon Prime. You can get it on either right. one. And basically, the most difficult endurance run in the world resides in Tennessee. And it happens in late March or early April every year. And there's only 37 people that get invited. And you have to submit your application with a dollar and 60 cents. And they they let in 36 that have a legitimate shot at, at finishing in one that they call the sacrificial lamb, somebody that doesn't know what they're getting into. But it's pretty <laughs> amazing. It's based off a prison break, uh, James Earl Ray, who assassinated yeah. um, Martin Luther King Martin back Luther in King. the day. Yep. He was at a place called uh, Brushy Mountain Prison in Tennessee. I think it's in uh, north northeastern Tennessee. And he escaped with five other convicts. And this is back in the late 70s. And he was on the lam for 56 hours, I think it was. And he went a total of eight miles. So the guy that started this is an ex-runner that lived in the hills of Tennessee. He was like, this dude could only make it eight miles in 56 hours. So they, they started putting their heads together. And they came up with this, what has now turned into a 100-mile race that you have to finish in 60 hours but it's five different loops and the altitude you go up and down these hills through all this crazy terrain, it equals out to two trips up and down Mount Everest within 60 hours. What? Yeah, it's insane. And the, the production is not great quality on the documentary, but the story is fascinating. So it's it's gone on every year since 1985. They took off for COVID, but I think only like 15 people have ever finished the race. So it documented. Oh, wow. It's an hour and 39 minutes. It is absolutely fascinating. I talked to a buddy of mine who's one of these endurance racers. He used to race marathons all the time. He's done two 100-mile races in the last three weeks. And he's like, I wouldn't even apply to the Barkley Marathon. He said, it's the most insane, most difficult thing ever. So, so that's my recommendation this week. So what's the name of the Barkley? Marathons. Okay, Barkley Marathon. Okay, all right. Yeah. So it's, it's, I... It's like the but, ultimate test of endurance. And like some yeah. Belgium dentist has gotten really good at it, was never a big runner before. But it's one of those mental things because when you watch it, you've got 60 hours, but you got to decide, do I want to sleep an hour a day? Or some of these guys go 60 hours without sleeping. And it's really, it, it, it's crazy, Lugan Bill, um, to prove you do it. So the first lap is kind of diagrammed. But after that, you've got to figure it out with a compass. Can't use GPS. And so... Yeah, the trail changes all five times. And, and is there's it at no night too. Oh, at night, yeah. There's so no rhyme or like, reason. This is like Le Mans on feet. It's crazy. And so the only reason that you can authenticate it because nobody's out there with them is like let's say that you're entry number 13. There are books hidden throughout the course and you have to tear page 13 out and bring it with you. So you'll have 10 pages when you get to your checkpoint after your first loop. It's insane. You got to check it out. So, okay, uh, I got uh, so I got more questions here. So, I'm assuming it's like rocky brush and like hilly and trees, like not you're just 
easy asphalt terrain, right. right? So they were talking about uh, the thorns and the brushes. And there was this dude, he had a GoPro on. And I was sitting there watching it with a girlfriend. And he, he's mic'd up and he's like, oh, God, another brush got me. And I was like, what a pussy. And then <laughs> at, the, at the end of it, I swear to God, they're all coming in. And it looks like they have been like in a tiger fight ever. I mean, they're all bleeding out. Their feet are destroyed. I mean, the thorns in the brush are that much. I mean, it's insane. That's nuts. I've never heard of that. I'm getting right on it. So yeah, I'm going to give you two things. So, since we're on the documentary um, uh, topic, have you seen The Staircase? I wanted to see The Staircase because it's based on a true story, right? Yeah, it's based on a guy actually here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, what? Wife falls down the staircase and foul place suspected, suspected maybe he pushed her, she dies. But oh, Netflix yeah. did, I think, a miniseries on it. Netflix did, and then, but there's an even better one on on Max, on HBO Max. Okay. So that's a definite recommendation. And then from a TV show standpoint, I have fall the we've talked about the bear, right? Yep. Fantastic. The other show I fell in love with is Shrinking on Apple Plus with Harrison Ford it. and Jason Segel. I think Harrison Ford and Jason Segel are both outstanding in it. It's great. Weren't they good? Wasn't it yeah. awesome? Yeah, great so dynamic. Good. And I like Harrison Ford, you know, from uh, whatever the Taylor Sheridan is, the the prequel to the prequel. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's great in that. And it just seems like he's loosened up as an actor. I mean, I've always liked Harrison Ford. But yeah. even in this twilight of his career, he's doing some really good work. But shrinking, you know, it shows a comedic side of Harrison Ford, which we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, I know. It's really, really good. Like, I, I, I thought that was fantastic. And I'm my, my wife and I right now, like, we're, we're waiting for things to start again. Like, aren't things supposed to be starting again? Yeah, so we've got the morning show on Apple TV. Did you guys yeah. watch that with Reese? Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, that first yeah. two series. Fantastic. You know who's coming into the fold? Now part of the cast is John Hamm. Oh, is he really? Yeah, so that should nice. be good. That starts this week. I like that. Yeah, so I'm like looking that. forward to that because I think John Hamm uh, is a really good underrated actor that maybe got a little stereotyped with, uh, with Don sure. Draper. Yeah, I, how could you not, right? But he's come out of it because he's proven that he can do comedic stuff too. Yeah, dude, he's uh, yeah, Fletch. The, uh, the Fletch, dude, that was an underrated movie. It was. It was. He. It was a great performance too. Yeah, it was. That was good. He was great in Bridesmaids. I thought he was good in what I thought was an underrated slapstick comedy, which was Tag. Remember Tag with Jeremy Renner? See, I never saw Tag. It's actually did, pretty good, dude. I did see ba Baby Driver, which I thought was really good. Now, yep. Baby Driver got kind of pushed out because of the Kevin Spacey situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like they're afraid to even show that so movie. let's blame anymore. everybody else. For right. I mean, Ke Kevin Spacey has been in some great movies. When you look at L.A. Confidential and oh. American Beauty is one of my favorites. Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects as Kaiser Soze. I mean, all these great roles, and you really don't see them pop up anymore, and it's because of that. Oh, yeah. Canceled. Yeah. Canceled for life. Canceled, man. That's what happened. By the way, what's going to happen to Mel Tucker? You don't have to get on the political side of it. Here's my fear, Lugan Bill, is I, you know, I don't know what's what. There's a lot of holes in that story. But if I'm Jimbo Fisher, and I've said this multiple times this week, I'm worried that people are digging because if they don't want you there, they don't want to pay a $77 million buyout if it's in the case of Mel Tucker. And you find something to fire somebody with calls, it's an easy way out. Yeah, it is. And that thing is just so unfortunate what's going on with that university and with this situation. And uh, I think to your point, there's probably a lot that isn't out there that we don't know yet. So um, and certainly not something Michigan State needs to be going through right now.
Nope, not at all. Hey, uh, safe travels to uh, Boston. Thanks, have a good time. Hopefully you'll get a good game there. Hopefully you won't Stay have dry. Yeah, hurricane weather. But uh, we'll talk to you next week, man. Enjoy the Barkley Marathons. You're going to love it. I'm on it. Love it. Thanks, man. Have a yeah, good it's Spitting Luke's every week right here on Disrupt the Media. It is brought to you by our friends at lanceslock.com. Jump on board. Try us out. Nine years. We've only had one losing year. We're going to win for you. Daily packages, weekly packages, monthly packages, annual packages, week three. Terrible slate. It'll be more fun when you have winners out there. Lanceslock.com.